Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor of this church, and I want to just start by asking you to get out your bulletin. We're going to be looking again at some at some things today that are both life-transforming, but also very practical. So I think you might want to write some things down. We're in a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we've seen this iceberg. It looms before us on the cover of our bulletin, up on the slides. Um, 90% of the mass of an iceberg lies below the surface of the water. And the same thing is true about our own lives. The same thing is true about us. Um, in this series, we're looking below the surface of our lives. Sometimes stuff happens to us and it's crazy and it's awful and it's, um, and then sometimes just little things can set us off and we're looking at the elements of our lives that are the reasons why we react the way that we do. Emotionally healthy spirituality it's also directly connected to spiritual maturity. Um, We have a quote from the author of the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro, and he says this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So you can't have one without the other. And here's what we've seen that the Bible says so far in this series. We've seen that our emotions come from God. We've seen that our emotions must integrate with our intellect. We've seen that our family of origin radically impacts how we react in life. Uh, And we've seen that our commitments, we saw this last week, our commitments have significant power over us. And some commitments are good and some are very, very bad for us. And we've said that these different things, they're like the knights of the round table, Right? King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. Um, when you make decisions, when you react to life, there's you. There's what you think, your intellect. There's how you feel, your emotions. There are all the baggage that you bring from your family of origin. And there are your commitments. And all of these are elements of who you are. And they're at the table. Each of these things affect you. Each of these things influence you. Each has value. Um, and each needs to be heard for you to live a truly authentic life and actually for you to truly experience the most of God in the most of your life. And you might have guessed, but there's another night that we're going to bring to the table today. It's the night that we are calling our limits. Our limits. So I'm going to start by uh, talking about this, by telling you a story. There's a story of a, of a wealthy man who was walking through the East Village and he saw a homeless man in distress and he checked his wallet and he had seven $100 bills. Now this man was very generous and so he gave the homeless man six of those seven bills and he walked on. And the homeless man was shook. Um, he thought about Uh, what the man had done. Then he got to his feet, chased the man down, knocked him out, and stole the seventh hundred dollar bill. Awful, isn't it? Well, you're going to see that this story relates to this message about limits. You're going to see that a little bit later. When I think about limits, 
And I think about people who learn to live within limits. There are two passages in the Bible that sort of jump out at me. Um, And these two passages are in your bulletins. And so the first one is about John the Baptist from John chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. You can see it in your bulletin. They'll also be on the screens. John answered, he said, a person can receive cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. And to this phrase that I underlined, I am not the Christ. This is such a helpful phrase in the Bible. It's so helpful because what's happening here is that John the Baptist was this leader and his following was shrinking because people were following Jesus instead of him. But his response is something that I have to remember a lot, that I am not the Christ. For me, this means that there's a limit to my responsibility. There's a limit to what I'm responsible for because I am not the Christ. And the good news is that you aren't either. Um, Maybe we all should say this. Say it with me. I am not the Christ. (sighs) You feel the weight lift off your shoulders? Um, We need to learn how to live within our God-given limits. Um, Sometimes when we're stressed out about a relationship or we are stressed out about our responsibilities, we need to remember our limits and we need to invite our limits to the table, to the round table. Our limits need to show up. Normally when our limits come to the table, our limits say, hey, hey, remember, you are not the Christ. That's a good thing for us to do. And what's awesome about this idea of limits is that even the Christ had limits. Okay, look at the next passage in your bulletins, John 17, verses 1 and 4. It says this, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, so this is Jesus praying to God the Father. He said in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So this is Jesus the night before his death, and he says, God, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is Jesus living within limits, right? Do you see that? Do you know how this is an expression of limits? Well, he said his work was accomplished. But there were still people who were sick and needed to be healed. There were still demon-possessed folks who needed to be exercised. There were still people who needed to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought. But Jesus still said, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. And so even Jesus didn't have the responsibility to heal and teach and fix the problems of everyone. That's a big deal. Even Jesus wasn't responsible. God did not give Jesus the responsibility to fix everyone. And so Jesus knew his limits, saw his limits, and lived within his limits. Now, because if I was Jesus, and I'm clearly not, 
And what I'm about to say will show you how I'm not and one of the reasons why I'm not. But if I were Jesus and I was praying this prayer the night before I knew I was supposed to die, I would have prayed something like this. God, I know that my ministry was designed to end, but could you give me another couple of years? I mean, there's so many things that are still undone. God, there are so many people who still need to hear There's so many people who haven't been healed yet. Like, you can't take me now. Maybe another three years? God, can we do that? And and not just for the world, but have you seen the 12 apostles, God? They are nowhere near ready for me to leave. But not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus knew that God didn't need him to heal or even reach everyone by himself. Man, like that just that blows my mind that even Jesus knew that it wasn't his responsibility to heal everyone, to teach everyone. But Jesus lived within the limits that God set for him. And friends, this is our goal. Our goal is to understand what God wants from us, what God expects from us, what we're responsible for, and then to live within that responsibility. And emotional health includes knowing that we have limits and then learning how to live within those limits. I mean, just the questions like, should we do this? Should I do this? Am I responsible for this? Am I responsible for him or her? These are questions that help us to bring our limits to the table so that they can remind us, you are not the Christ. And even if you were, (laughs) even Jesus wasn't responsible to fix everybody. Now, how do we grow in this? Like, how do we grow in this area of learning to live within our limits? Well, there's, there are several things in the Bible that could teach us how to live within limits, how to understand our limits and to live within them and to be content with those limits. There's one thing that is particularly powerful that can help us grow in this area. It's something that will help us. It'll make sure that we bring our limits to the table across all of our lives so that we can live in the healthiest way possible. I'm going to tell you what it is, but before I tell you what it is, I need to tell you that you're going to be disappointed with what it is. Okay? You're not going to like what I'm about to tell you. Okay? You're not going to like what it is that we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. In fact, I'm going to guess that half of you, when I say what this limit is, you're going to roll your eyes and you're going to say, I've heard this before. This is so irrelevant. I'm just, and you're going to check out. So, Prepare to be lost. Like, prepare to check out. Um, So, what is this that will help us to grow in this? You ready? It's the Sabbath. I saw that. Really? Just kidding. Nobody did that. The Sabbath. It's, it's, it's the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath is 
And please, I know, well, some of you may have heard teaching on the Sabbath. Some of you haven't. Don't check out. I'm I'm telling you that if you can grab hold of the Sabbath and understand what it is and how to do it, it will have a radical impact on your life. It will help you to live within all kinds of limits in your life. It will free you from responsibilities that are not yours. It will help you lower expectations of yourself to match God's lowered expectations of you. Okay? Stay with me, please. I, I, I don't think I'm gonna let you down. Um, so first, well, I've got like 10 pages of notes. I had to get it down to two and a half. Otherwise, this takes three hours and we don't have three hours. So, so we're not gonna start in Genesis where the Sabbath starts, but we're gonna start in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we're gonna look at verses eight through 11 because the Sabbath is in the 10 commandments. So it made the top 10, okay? Commandment number four is this. Exodus 20, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're like, huh, what does that mean? Don't worry, God tells you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So the command here is to treat one day in seven as special. That's what the word holy means, that this is a special day. And so it's different from the rest of the days. God is saying, look, you can work for six days. You can do whatever you want for six days. But the seventh day is a day of rest. It's a day of rest to the Lord, your God. So you are to offer him this day. You are to shut down your work and give the day to God by resting from your work. And the next verse tells us why. Why? Well, verse 11 says, For, that's because, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so the reason why we, observe the Sabbath, why God commands us to observe the Sabbath is because he observed the Sabbath. We're to spend one day in seven resting from your primary vocation so that you can treat that day as special, resting and then connecting to the God who created all things and rested. So this is a limit on our time. That's what the Sabbath is. It is a limit. It is boundaries on how we are to spend a portion of the time that we have. And this limit on our time, it reminds us that we are not machines. Okay? It reminds us that we are, one person said, we are human beings, not human doings. Now the command, this command to observe the Sabbath is repeated in Deuteronomy 5, But in Deuteronomy 5, we get a different reason why we should keep the Sabbath. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 12, and then verse 15. He says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. So far, so good. Same thing. But verse 15 gives a different reason. 
you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the reason's different. In Exodus, the reason for the Sabbath was the work of God in creation. But here, the reason for the Sabbath is the work of God in redemption. It's the work that God did to set his people free from slavery in Egypt, freed from the slavery to work incessantly over and over every single day. And so what we see here, this is the gospel. This is the good news. On the Sabbath, we remember, we remember that God saved us, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to our sin. There is this celebration where with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God sent Jesus to live for us, to die for us, to set us free from the power of sin, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us back to him, to wake us up so that in whatever direction we've been living, in whatever way we've been living apart from God, that this wakes us up so that we would come back and go, whoa, God has set us free to finally realize and live in and experience who we were designed to be in relationship with him. And so this, so on the Sabbath, we're supposed to remember the gospel. And so again, this is a limit on our time. And this limit on our time is a reminder from God that we are sinners saved by grace. We remember that we don't work for our salvation but we are saved by God's work of salvation for us. And so this is why church and worship are designed by God to be a great part of the Sabbath day. So a lot of us, a lot of Christians and a lot of churches think, all right, we know this is in there. You know, we've heard it before. Some of us have heard it talked about. But I mean, come on. Like, it's not that big a deal, right? I mean, yeah, I know it's in the top 10, but come on. Like, seriously? I mean, this isn't like murdering, right? It's not like adultery, stealing. I mean, Sabbath? Come on. Well, I'm kind of hesitant to share some of the verses in the Bible with you because I'm afraid of what you're going to think about the God who inspired them to be written. And what I'm about to share with you is one of those verses, okay? So I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Exodus 31, verses 14 through 17. God says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Whoa. So God takes this very seriously. 
This is a big deal to God. If he has set aside one day in seven to be special and you profane that day, there are serious consequences. Now, this is given not as a command to the whole world. This is given as a command to God's people. If you're in a relationship with God and you completely disregard his commandments, if you don't care what he has to say, you pay the ultimate consequence. And verse 16 talks more about this. It says, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The reason this was so serious to God was because God said it was a sign of his covenant. It was, the Sabbath was like, it was like the wedding ring between God and his people. It was like every week God came to his people and said, Honey, I love you so much. Will you wear this? And the people like taking the ring and being like, Whatever. Don't tell my wife I just did that. (laughs) Found it. I mean, so the Sabbath, I mean, we don't think about this, right? But God says, like, this is a sign of the covenant between you and me. That's why it was such a big deal, because to profane the Sabbath meant, God, I don't care about what you want. Now, there's another thing in this verse. It says on the seventh day at the end, it says that he rested and was refreshed. And so God himself was rested and refreshed. And so the Sabbath is designed to be a day of refreshment. So, so often, and I've thought this before, the idea, well, all right, if I have to observe the Sabbath, then that means I've got to wear clothes that are too tight and dress in a way that's too uncomfortable and sit in a place, I mean, especially with kids, right? You got to strap them in. You got to make them sit. They've got to sit still, stiller than they're comfortable with, quieter than they're comfortable with. And then when we get home, we're just going to pray all day. And I don't know what we're going to do, but we can't do anything really except being solemn and holy and austere. And I mean, it's miserable, right? That's not Jesus. That's not God. On this day, God rested and was refreshed. And so this is a day that's about refreshment. And so this limit on our time is designed by God. It's to to remind us that we are in a relationship with him. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal because it reminds us, as these limits do, it reminds us that we are not God but that he is our God. That's what the Sabbath is for. And so it is a big deal 
It's an enormous deal for us to set aside a 24-hour period of time and just let work go. It's difficult. I mean, the idea of doing this makes some of us anxious. I mean, we worry because what about our to-do list? What about our responsibilities? What about the things that, man, there's that window of time in the afternoon on Sundays, right? Kids are down, taking their nap. I've got this, I, I just never have this time, right? And I need to get my job done. We're afraid that if we don't, if we don't observe the Sabbath, that we won't get our work done. Do you remember the story of the wealthy man who gave the six $100 bills to the homeless man and then got mugged because the homeless man stole that seventh $100 bill? Friends, we are that homeless man. God gives us six days to do whatever we want and he asks for one day to be special. And we see that seventh day and we just think, no, I need that too. We rob God of his day, even though it's only one in seven. And so I want to talk about, I want to talk about practice Right? What can we do even this week um, to try to set ourselves maybe on a little bit of a different trajectory, on a different path? Um, and so I want you to grab your bookmarks. These are the Lent bookmarks. Um, we're using these bookmarks to remind us that during the season of Lent, we want you to take extra time, deny yourself something and then use that time or deny yourself. And when you want what you are denying yourself of, you use that time when you want it to remember to pray, write, and speak, okay? That's what we're aiming at doing, praying, writing, and speaking. We want you to talk to God a little bit more during this season. We want you to write down some of your thoughts and some of your prayers because when you write, you get a little bit clearer. You can kind of work things out. You can sort of think through what you believe and what you think. And then we want you to talk to other people, whether it's a trusted friend or in your life group. We want you to involve someone else and to let them know what you're learning and what you're experiencing with God during Lent. So let's pray, write, and speak. And so I'm going to give you four steps, four things to write down uh, in the box, and you can carry this with you during this week. And so first, and these things are going to help you pray, write, and speak. So first, I want you to ask yourself and work through this, what could a Sabbath look like? What could a Sabbath look like for you? Like, what would your life be like if you could take one 24-hour period of time and unplug, slow down, and trust that God will make sure that your life doesn't fall apart? I recommend that you take from Saturday sundown to Sunday sundown. That's a, a wise way, I think a wide choice, a wise choice. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that time frame. Um, Romans 14 makes it really clear that the day doesn't matter. 
Like some, some like one day, others like another day, that's what it says. Um, and so the day doesn't matter. In fact, Madison, Madison Elick, um, she's our newest staff member. She said this week that when she was in school, there was so much work that was due on Monday that Sunday just didn't work. Sunday wasn't a good day to try to Sabbath. And so she used Wednesdays because that's what her schedule allowed her to do. And so if Wednesday is good for you, then do it on Wednesday. But you're just aiming for a 24-hour period of time. And I like, I like the evening, morning, and afternoon in that order because I think it's helpful and it's easier to do that. And plus, that's how they did it in the Bible. So the Jews observed from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And then the Christians started, did Saturday sundown to Sunday sundown because of the resurrection of Jesus. It was a day of celebration. And so the day got shifted from Saturday to Sunday. And you see that in the New Testament. We don't have time to look at that. But so, so ask yourself, what could a Sabbath look like? And if you need help trying to visualize this, I want to just give you in this first of four things, I'm going to give you four sub points here. Sorry, it's not designed to be complicated, but here are four things that you can do to help you visualize how this day could look. First, you need to stop. Okay, stop. And I know this is so hard for so many of us, me included. I like to run at 100 miles an hour and I feel like that gives me joy, but you have to stop. And I know you have so much to do and you can't stop. But let me tell you that the lie is, here's the lie. The lie is that you have to finish. That's a lie. You don't have to finish. And the more insidious lie, here's the more insidious lie, is that you could actually finish. You think that if you just worked a little bit harder, if you just worked a little bit longer, if you kind of just sort of swept the Sabbath under the rug and didn't worry about it, then you could actually finish. And that's a lie. It's not true. You can't. And so instead, you have to stop. You have to stop and you have to trust that God cares for you and God will honor you stopping for him. He will work while you rest. So you want to say no to work so that you can say yes to God. All right, and then you need to rest. You need to rest. And so what does rest feel like for you? What, is it, what, what can you do that feels relaxing? Because whatever the answer to that question is, do that. Do that. So if engaging with people is relaxing for you, do that. If it's not, don't. <laughs> um, if engaging with ideas or hobbies is what works for you, then do that or don't. Um, what could it look like for you to spend 24 hours freed from hurriness? Like being hurried. Like freed from having to make decisions even. Like you can decide, you know what, for these 24 hours, I'm not making decisions. I'm going to put it off until Sunday night. The sun goes down, responsibilities come back in, worried, 
hurriedness. Okay, I'll take on then, but for now, no. For now, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to, every time I think about it, God, could you take this? God says, yes, please. I'll take this from you. I'll give it back. Don't worry. But let me hold it for a little while. Maybe technology gets that thing going in you that makes you go, you know, like, and if it does, maybe you should rest from that. Unless that one game on your phone that like totally helps you veg out, then go for it. Like, do that. Whatever's restful. And then this idea of delight. Delight. So like, think about, like, what delights you? Like food, beauty, creation. Like, slow down and pay attention. Maybe during this time you can really see and hear your spouse or your kids or maybe a friend. Like maybe one of the things that you're going to do is you're going to delight in one other person on this day where you sit down and say, you know what? It's been a long time. How are you? What's new? Slowing down isn't just metaphorical. Like I would encourage you during these 24 hours to walk slowly. I got a sabbatical because of your generosity and grace and wisdom, by the way. It was very wise to give me a sabbatical. Um, go elders. Um, I started it a day before I was supposed to. I cheated. Instead of starting October 1st, I started it on Sunday, September 30th, after the second service here. And the first thing that I did on my sabbatical was I walked home. I didn't bring my computer. I printed out my sermon notes. And I didn't bring a Bible because I'm thinking, all right, one time I'm not going to bring a Bible. And when I was done, I said, I said hello to people. I said, you know, whatever. And then I threw my notes in the trash and I walked home. And I walked slowly. And I didn't walk directly home. I took this meandering route. It was, took me three miles to get home, three and a half miles, three miles. It took me 90 minutes to walk home. It shouldn't take that long. That, that means I was walking slowly. And in the back of my head, even though it wasn't actually playing, I had Louis Armstrong's Wonderful World playing in my heart. Because that is a song whose pace is not in a hurry. Like God wants us to delight on this day. And so whatever it is that gives you joy and pleasure, do that. Um, and then fourth, contemplate God. Right? As you try to think through what, is a, what does a Sabbath look like, contemplate God. I mean, coming to church is a really good option. Like you kill all kinds of birds with one stone when it comes to Sabbath keeping. So this is a good thing. You're already here. You should just make this practice, right? You come, this is a good beginning, right? Because you get a chance to learn about God, to remember things that you might've already known, to learn new things, but mostly to, to hear the good news that what Jesus did is sufficient, that God loves you, 
and that even if you've had the worst week of your life because you screwed up, not because of other things, but because you messed it up, God still loves you. He's still with you. He still cares about you. He's not kicking you out. He welcomes you with open arms. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. And so, but if Sunday's not your day, then make sure you carve out some time to spend with God. Like you can read a passage of the Bible. You can listen to a worship song. You can think about the sermon from the Sunday before. I mean, whatever it is that fills your tanks, that helps you meet with God, do that. On this day, you want to turn to God, not to get something, but to be something with him. Now, if you're tracking with me, I think I might know what some of you are thinking. Because as I was like painting this amazingly glorious picture of a Sabbath like this, my thought was, well, I really wish I could do this, but there's no way. Anybody else? I mean, if you have kids, right? Like... I mean, you, you start having kids and then Sabbath is just gone, right? There's no, I don't even remember what a vacation was like where you actually felt like you were vacating when you have kids there because it's just ever, having kids is a limit, my goodness, um, <clears throat> major limit. But being, having no kids is also a limit. We all have limits. Um, so if you feel like how in the world could you do this, don't worry. Here's question two. Okay. Question one is, what could it look like? Question two is, how would you have to prepare for a Sabbath like this? Okay, How would you have to prepare for a Sabbath like this? With your work, what would you need to do for your work so that your work would be prepared to not hear from you for 24 hours? Right, The responsibilities that you have if you were to say, I'm not going to be available from Saturday night to Sunday night or from Saturday afternoon, sundown to Sunday, sundown, what would you have to do to make sure that the people that are in your life know that you're not going to be available? And I'm, I'm asking this question because you need to figure out the answer, right? What would you have to do to prepare for a sabbatical like this? Now, if you have kids, and I have four, so I get it. And the older they get, the easier it is. And sometimes the older they get, then you kind of feel bad that you can take a sabbatical or a Sabbath because you're like, wait, they don't want to be with me? And the answer is no, they don't actually because they're getting older. But so families, couples, you have to work together on this, okay? It's not sin. It's not breaking the Sabbath to care for your children. But parents, you need to come together and ask yourselves, is it possible that each of you could give the other even just a taste of this kind of a Sabbath? Right? Maybe 24 hours is not realistic today. Right? Maybe it's not realistic over the next several weeks. Maybe this is something that we'll need to build in, but could we work together so that somehow each of us has even like an hour where we can slow down, unplug, and just not have to be responsible for everything else.
if you don't have kids or if your kids are grown, oh my goodness, wait a second. What if you helped someone with kids to be able to get a foretaste of a Sabbath like this? Right? Maybe God is speaking to you right now because maybe you could watch someone's kids for like an hour or two on a Sunday afternoon. What an amazing act of unbelievably gracious charity you would be providing for parents who might be this close to being burned out or maybe were burned out like six months ago and they're just hanging on. Maybe you could give them a date night or a date afternoon. Um, that would be awesome. Um, someone in the first service actually came up to me and said, you know what, retired people, we don't have kids. We love hanging out with kids. So maybe if you're in the second half of life and you don't have kids anymore that you're responsible for, maybe you could provide that kind of love. Um, Maybe if you have chores that need to get done on Sundays, for instance, whatever day it is, maybe, like, you ask yourself, is there any way that these chores could be a little bit different on the Sabbath? Maybe you want to divvy up chores. Maybe if you did her chores or his chores, right? Then, because sometimes, at least this is my experience, when I have to do it for myself, it's like the worst. It's like drudgery. But if I'm doing it for someone else, there's a little bit of a bounce in my step. It's kind of fun. I like vacuuming for some reason. And I love vacuuming other people's stuff. I love washing other people's dishes. But when it's my own, it's like, what's up with that? I don't know what that is, but, but that's a thing. So maybe even in the family, right, if you divvy up the chores, so it's kind of like, hey, it's a special day. You're not doing this for yourself. You're actually doing this for me or you're doing this for her. And, you know, maybe you can kind of trick yourselves into making it a little bit different on the Sabbath. A couple of other questions um, that you can ask yourself. What could you leave undone on your Sabbath? And you're thinking, well, like, no, all of it's got to get done. Hold on. What if God is asking you, what if God is commanding you to take this 24-hour period to rest, to be reverent with him, and to, like, to, to, to recreate right? If we're praying and playing and we're just trying to rest, right? If that's what we're doing, what if God said, I want you to do these things? Do you still need to do this other thing? Do you still need to do this? Is it really that necessary that you do this on this day that God has asked you to do these other things? Because maybe it could be left undone. or maybe this question, it would help. What would you have to do before your Sabbath so that you don't have to do it on your Sabbath? Again, this is just me trying to help you flesh out what could your Sabbath look like and then how would you have to prepare? Um, And then third, and this is where it begins to bleed into more areas of life and could be part of your contemplation on the Sabbath with God, but what limits do you need to own? So what limits do you need to own? On this day, when you are letting yourself live within the limits that God has said, maybe you could ask God, God, are there any responsibilities that I need to let go of? 
Are there any things, God, that you want me to say no to? Maybe it's someone else's reactions. Maybe it's someone else's decisions that they've made. Um, Maybe it's your to-do list, at least for 24 hours, because the to-do list isn't bad. But maybe, again, you hand it to God, and God says, give it to me today. I'll give it back to you tonight. You can have it tomorrow. Um, And take that time to focus on him, on your family, and on yourself in reverence, rest, and recreation. And then the fourth thing, this is really important, put it in your calendar. Schedule this. Schedule this. Put it in your calendar. This is the 24-hour period of time that I am going to observe the Sabbath. So you are then busy. You're busy reverencing. You're busy resting and you're busy recreating. Okay? You are not available. You have an appointment with the doctor of your soul. Okay? You have a doctor's appointment. You can't be there. You can't say yes to this. Look, boss, I'm sorry. Like, I get it. I've already got, I've got a doctor's appointment. On Sunday, well, if I told you the kind of doctor you'd understand, I don't know, you, you can, you know, whatever it is you need to say, but, um, but you're not available on this day. I know this is possible. I know this is possible because in other parts of the country, when they have snow, we don't have that, but in other parts of the country, things happen and they call them snow days, right? Are you familiar with these things? You wake up in the morning, you're getting ready for work, and then all of a sudden, somehow you find out that when you open the front door, you're not going to go anywhere because there's like three feet of snow outside the front door. So you couldn't even get to your car if you wanted to. Your car isn't going anywhere. What happens on those snow days? Nothing. <laughs> you don't go to work. You're not expected to be at work. You don't go to school. You're not expected to be at school, right? Everyone, everyone gets a mulligan, right? And the world doesn't crumble. The world life isn't over. I know this isn't the same, but it's proof that you can do this that you can do this. And so I want to encourage you to experiment with this for a month. Take the next four weeks and you don't have to figure it out perfectly. Don't worry. Like you'll make adjustments along the way. You're going to try it. You're going to fail hopelessly, but you're going to do something. And you're like, well, at least I did this. This was different. And then the next week, you're going to get a little bit better. If you could make a 1% improvement every week in your Sabbath keeping, by the end of this year, your life will look significantly different one day in seven. That's a big deal. When we give God one day in seven, we practice our limits. We experientially practice the reality that God that when we're at the end of ourselves, that's when God begins. And so our our, our limits, they're designed to move us to trust God. Again, it's like a tithe of your time. And so this week, let me give you three psalms for if life is up, down, or sideways. I do this every week. I wish we had time to go through them, but we don't. But Psalm 40, 55, and 62, if life is up, down, or sideways. 
And I just want to close by reminding you, we saw that Jesus lived within his limits all the way up to the end of his life. But in his death, Jesus actually lived without limits. Jesus gave himself completely on the cross. Jesus abandoned himself all the way with no restraint, with no limits. He abandoned himself to a love that went all the way to death on a cross. And on the cross, there was no limit to his love. On the cross, Jesus took responsibility for us. He had no boundaries. There was no healthy boundary in Jesus as he hung on the cross, taking the responsibility for every sin that we've committed. And he did it because he loves you. And he did it because he wants to set you free to joyfully live within the limits that he has provided for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come and we thank you. We thank you for the gift of limits. And we confess that we have robbed you time and time again. We've ignored your design for us and for our lives. We have robbed you of time that you set aside for our good. We've ignored you and we're sorry. Jesus, please forgive us and set us free. Set us free to remember this Sabbath day and let it begin today in some way. Help today to be different in some way so that we can begin a new direction of our lives. Thank you for reminding us of what's really important. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.